Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren, if you don't know me, and I'm one of the pastors here, and we're in a series called Kingdom Culture. And we have been talking about the message and life of Jesus. The primary message of Jesus was the announcement of God's kingdom arrival, his reign and rule, what life would look like on earth if God was in charge. And he invites us to live and experience this reality here and now. And he invites us as followers, his apprentices, to embody his life, his mission, and his message and carry it wherever we go. We are called to carry on his way of life wherever we go. So as a stay-at-home mom, as a student, as a teacher, as an engineer, as a realtor, as a professor, as a business owner, as unemployed, we're called wherever we are, as we are, as followers of Jesus to extend and build this kingdom life on earth as it is in heaven. So we've been teaching this stuff for months now, and we're looking at different snapshots of Jesus's life, values, characteristics, and concepts about the kingdom, and talking about how we can apply this to our life wherever we are. And this morning, um, I want to talk about what, what I didn't realize was hard to talk about, and it, it, it really came out in the first service, but I want to talk about a hard concept. I want to talk about a concept that I've been carrying um, for a while, years, trying to understand how to teach and articulate this concept. Um, because I think it's, it's one of the most significant kingdom cultures um, that we have to learn to embody as a generation, as a church, for our current culture and society because it is the cure to the cancer that we're facing as a culture. Um, And I say that because you're going to hear it and you're going to understand in a second. So I am excited to kind of brain dump on you a few things and then teach constructively this concept called the culture of honor. I want to talk about how we create a culture of honor because honor is central to the kingdom of God. Honor is central to the kingdom of God. And it's a biblical concept used all over the scripture, which I'm going to make a case 
from the Bible today near, near the end. Um, but I think for a lot of us, we don't get honor today for lots of reasons. We also don't like this concept because this concept has been abused in, in communities all over the place. But I don't want to run from something that we place fear or our baggage in. I want to teach what Jesus teaches to help us move forward as a church. Um, so honor is not some peripheral concept. Uh, it's, a centri- it's central to the life of the church. So I want to start with a warning, a w- an advisory warning, if that's okay. So a word of warning real quick from the uh, gospel of Mark chapter six. And here's what I want to start by saying. Dishonor shuts us off from the ministry of Jesus. Dishonor shuts us off from the ministry of Jesus. Check this out. In Mark chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these teaching? Where did this, I'm sorry, where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this a carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not, with, uh, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives and in his own home. And it says he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He goes home and his friends, his community, people that he grew up with, they were offended by Jesus. Jesus was someone they were familiar with. He was a carpenter. He was normal. He went to the same schools as them. He worked with them alongside them. He had working class parents And that disqualified the honor required of such a prophet. And as a result, that town was shut off from the ministry of Jesus. Just think about that for a minute. Dishonor shuts off the ministry of Jesus in that town. It said familiarity breeds contempt. And this is true in the story. In this case, familiarity disqualified the honor required. They were prejudiced by proximity. Do you know what I'm talking about? I feel like we do this all the time, especially in the church. We can't or we refuse to believe that God would use our spouse, our friend, that guy who's 18 years old and kind of weird to speak prophetically to us. We're, we, we, you know what I'm talking about? We refuse to believe God will use the ordinary to do extraordinary things that God would use us or someone like us to be the kind of person that brings revolution, revival, or kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Familiarity breeds contempt. We fail to see what's possible in others because of familiarity. And that familiarity hinders our faith. Imagine just for a moment what it would have looked like if Jesus' hometown honored the gift that was in him. Imagine if his friends were like, no, this is anointing of God. This is going to be global. We need to come around the power and the authority that's come from God, divine, and we're going to help empower this to go all over the world. Imagine how many miracles. I I think it's so funny. He couldn't perform any miracles except lay his hands and heal a few people. Most churches would be like, yes, a few people. All right, we're going to do a global ministry. And he's like, no, lack of faith. That's how they were remembered. Jesus's hometown is not the epicenter of Jesus's birth and ministry and movement. It's the epicenter or the lack of faith. Dishonor cuts you off from the ministry of Jesus. And if I could speak prophetically, this is why I'm carrying this. It's for our church. I want to speak like, I want to talk about this as globally as a message, like this is truth for all time. But I think in this moment of time, if I could 
gently speak prophetically, this is what I would say. I have been carrying this message for a while, for lots of reasons, which we'll get to the cultural understanding in a second. I've been thinking about what God is doing and he's doing something. He's doing something at, at this time, in this moment, right now, in this church, in this city. There's unique things. People are experiencing the presence of God. There's worship, there's teaching, there's house churches growing. People are coming to faith. There's reconciliation. There's all sorts of things happening all over the place. And I get these stories and I'm like, gosh, there is this heightened experience and anticipation. God is on the move. But it's not just here in our city. It's all over the place. It's happening everywhere in Long Beach. It's happening in Portland. It's happening in Orange County, LA County. It's happening all over the US. It's happening all over the world. God is beginning to raise up new leaders who believe that the scripture is true and it's possible and the revivals of old are, are possible for us. Why not? It's happening. He's stirring something right now and I see it. I see this happening and I think God is moving and his spirit is being poured out and I, I don't want to whisper the word. I want to yell the word revival where people will, will come to faith and families will be restored and, and communities will be healed and culture will be transformed. We're not reacting. We're on the offense. The enemy is fleeing. That's what I think is beginning to take place. But here's the thing, we won't get that ministry of Jesus unless we get culture of honor. Because what God said to me recently, this months ago, last December, he spoke so clearly to me. He said, Darren, he said this, I wrote it down in my journal. He said, unless you honor the gifts I've given you, you won't be who you were created to be. And then he said, unless you're, you honor the gifts in the church I've given the garden, you won't become who you are created to be as a church. Unless your church, unless we as a church don't, if we don't get honor, if we don't learn how to honor the gifts here, we won't get the rest of Jesus's ministry. So Lord, I just pray right now that you would empower us to create a culture of honor in our church. Lord, I pray that you would release the insecurity that's in this room, the false humility, the pride of an inaccurate view of self in either direction in order to release a season of fruitfulness, of faith building, of power, of signs and wonders, of evangelistic empowerment, of healing everywhere we go on the streets and in the gatherings, of worship in a worshiping community, of a multiplication of discipleship across the nations. I pray, Lord, you would do something in us and through us in this next season, in Jesus' name, amen. God spoke that to me, and then it led us to a season of repentance. Us being, this is what happened. I realized that I wasn't willing to lead out of my gifting because of insecurity. Anyone else want to raise their hand about this? Like you feel like God's given you a way of seeing the world, of doing life, of a business, or you're an artist and he's given you a way of writing songs or whatever it is that you do, or, or you're a teacher and the way you influence students, like, and, but you hold back because you feel, you're, one, you're insecure about your gift and you don't know what, and then you wonder what people are going to think. So there's all sorts of insecurity coming at you. And the Lord was saying, Darren, you know my voice. You know this is in you. And if you don't recognize that your pride, which is in insecurity, is getting in the way, you won't lead the people where I want you to take them. It's so clear. You're prideful. Repent. And I did. I brought it to our board. I start repenting. And then our board starts repenting. Yeah, we've been holding back too. We got it, God forgive and led to this repent. And then we bring it to our elders and our elders are repenting. And then we, with this, this moment in our staff meeting, our staff starts repenting. And then we bring it to our house church. Our house church is, it's just like this thing is going, I don't know how to explain it other than this move of God of repentance, of recognizing there's this vision he's given us, this city, this moment in time. And unless we honor it, we'll never go out and do the things he wants us to do. So all the insecurity has to go. I'm not saying be prideful. I'm saying recognize that you are more than a conqueror. Recognize that you are a co-heir with Christ, crowned in glory, destined for greatness with Jesus, empowered by the presence of God, resource with heaven. 
How are we, how are we gonna walk around feeling insecure about our stuff when we have heaven resourcing us like an ocean? How are we gonna stumble into the throne room of God when Jesus died on the cross and says, I'm gonna share my inheritance. You have access to it now. Oh, no, 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 no. Father, if you hear me, if it is your will, maybe think just if you even like, if I could just get your attention for a second. What is that? The enemy is winning. And so insecurity is just going to destroy all of God's possibility in the church. Our problem isn't unique though. You see, we've been shaped by a growing culture, a culture of contempt. See, we live in a culture of contempt. You could think, oh, we live in a culture of anger. No, that's, that's, un, that's, that's up here. Contempt is down here. It's the heart of the issue. So you see, I, I didn't want to share this, but you're my favorite. I'm going to share something with you. And the reason I, I feel like you can handle this, and I'm going to say this, and I feel like some of you are going to be so disappointed in me, and that's okay, but I add a, no, for real, because I want to share something vulnerable. I didn't share it in the first service. Now we'll have to podcast the first. Um, so Tuesday, I'm writing a sermon called Culture of Honor. I'm preaching the sermon. And I go to lunch with my family. We had like 45 minutes. Um, and if you've ever been to lunch with a two-year-old, it's like a ticking time bomb. You're just like anticipating when it's the meltdown. is. Right? So and you guys don't know this. So, okay, so some of you do. Um, so we go to this restaurant. We only have a little bit of time. I'm stressed. Like, yeah, I got to get the kids and all this stuff. And I order the food. We get the food. And I'm like, hey, can we get some water cups? Oh, you have to pay for the water. <laughs> and, and I'm not being rude, okay? So this isn't coming out rude. I say, well, I'm pretty sure it's illegal to charge me for water, right? Because it is, right? So like, I know the, and I'm all about justice. If you don't know me at all, like, <laughs> so I'm like, this is injustice. <laughs> They're doing this to people who don't know this. That's, that's what's going on here, yeah. right? And I'm like, well, no, you, you actually legally have to give me water. And, and she's, like, she's like, well, I'll, I'll go talk to my manager. I'm like, cool, talk, talk to your manager. And I wasn't rude. I wasn't, like, I, that was, that's literally, I'm like, I'm, I'm pretty sure you have, it was like this. And Alex looks at me and she's like, you needed to say you're sorry. She's sitting down. She's like, don't do what you're doing. And I was like, wait, what? And I go back and she talks. She's like, you're not honoring her. And I'm, I'm just like, oh, I felt sick to my stomach. Like, I am dishonoring a woman who doesn't know what she's saying. Like, she doesn't know. She's taking, you know, her orders from her manager. But I could have just easily said, yeah, here you go, $3. I'll take some water cups. But instead, I wanted to meet with this person to, like, bring justice to the, inst- the vulnerable. And so I walk with, I'm like, Ezra, come here. I walk up and I say, hey, uh, she's like, here you go. Here's some water cups. I'm like, that, look, look, here's the deal. I'm so sorry. I, I think I, dis, I disrespected you. I dishonored you in, in trying to get water. And I just want you to know, I'm really sorry for doing that. She's like, no, you didn't. You didn't, not at all. I'm like, actually, I did. And the fact that you don't know is the problem. And I'm, I just want you to say, I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I'm really sorry. Thank you so much. I know you're doing your job. And thank you for the water cups. I appreciate it. I'm not going to pay, but thank you so much. <laughs> I didn't want to share that. I repented. I didn't want to share because I don't want you to think, oh man, my pastor is so cheap. I'm not, I'm generous. My pastor is so dishonoring. But I was thinking, actually, this, this is like, this is everywhere. This is the culture we're swimming in. This is why when someone cuts us off on the freeway um, and, and we were in that lane maybe 10 seconds before, but all of a sudden we're entitled to the lane and we get angry. This is why when someone posts something that you don't agree with on Facebook, you will attack them with your moral superiority because they're just uneducated. And you'll, you'll use rhetoric and, and intellect and everything to make sure that you just win as an online troll that you are. We can laugh. It's in all of us. It's contempt. In his essay published in the New York Times, Arthur Brooks, 
who's a scholar in public policy, who is leaving his kind of task of what he's been doing for the last years to write a book on this concept called the culture of contempt. Because as a policymaker, he realizes he can't go much further unless he addresses the issue under the issue, which is this. He says this, the problem in America today is not incivility or intolerance. It's something far worse. It's a culture. It's our culture of contempt. Political scientists have found that our nation is more polarized than it has been at any time since the Civil War. When we were, as Americans, killing each other with weapons. So it's never been this divisive in the United States, except for when we were at war with each other. One in six Americans has stopped talking to a family member or close friend because of the 2016 election. Millions of people organize their social lives and their news exposure along ideological lines to avoid people with opposing views. Each side thinks it's driven by benevolence, while the other is evil and motivated by hatred and is therefore an enemy with whom one cannot negotiate or compromise. Contempt makes political compromise and progress impossible. It also makes us unhappy as people. He goes on to argue, according to the American Psychological Association, the feeling of rejection so often experienced after being treated with contempt increases anxiety, depression, and sadness, damages the contemptuous person by uh, stimulating two stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline. In ways both public and personal, contempt causes us deep harm. Contempt is defined as the feeling that a person or thing is beneath consideration, worthless, or deserving scorn to consider someone or something to be unworthy of respect and attention. This is why we treat each other the way we do in our culture. This is why we retaliate on Facebook. This is why we demonize our once friends because of their political views. This is why there's so much hate. It's because there's a culture of contempt that we are all swimming in as citizens of the U.S., as Western thinkers. This has affected the church. In fact, contempt might be the most toxic force eroding the people of God today. It's the contempt that defined the culture of the Pharisees at the time of Jesus who distorted the covenant of, of God with people and God. And because con, well, what contempt does is contempt diminishes the value of others. So what you do when you live in this kind of culture is you create categories of us, them, in, out, good, bad. And these categories are, are how we live our lives. So we can say there are certain groups of people that deserve certain things in this country or, and certain people don't get these rights that should, every human should have. We, we can do that when we diminish the value of life. And there's so many scholars that have written on this. I don't need to go on. Um, Sebastian Younger, who, was a, a, um, uh, who, who came back from the war, um, he wrote in his book, Tribes, he talked about honor and respect. And he says this, we live in a society that is basically at war with itself. People speak with incredible contempt about, depending on their views, the rich, the poor, the educated, the foreign born, the president, or the entire U.S. government. It is a level of contempt that is usually reserved for enemies in wartime, except that now it's applied to our fellow citizens. Unlike criticism, contempt is particularly toxic because it assumes a moral superiority in the speaker. Contempt is often directed at people who had, have been excluded from a group or declared unworthy its benefits. So contempt is all over the place. And this is what I've been seeing. I, I haven't had language for it until recently about what I see in the church. And I have had, I've used different languages, or sorry, different words, not different languages. I've been speaking in tongues about it. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's the only other language I can speak. Um, <laughs> That's true. I, I don't know anything else. I took Japanese in high school. It didn't help. I was using other words, and I've been thinking about our, the issue we have of our lack of honor. Because the opposite of contempt is honor, which we'll define. But I was thinking about this, because we, we um, as a culture, as a society, as, as a nation, um, as a church, we have an issue with authority. This has been going on for 60 years. There was a point in American history where you just trusted the people in authority. And, and, and then there was a revolution that came out of it, right, in the 60s. And people started questioning the man, 
questioning the authority, reacting against authority. And so that led to a whole movement of deconstructionism and all sorts of things. But what we have currently in our culture and millennials and younger, but also older as well, we have a lack of not just honor or respect for authority. We don't, we're sus, we, we think um, we are suspicious of authority. Um, we don't trust authority. We uh, don't honor authority or respect authority, obviously. We outright reject authority because we see authority as oppressive. That's what our culture is teaching us. The authority in any form, whether it be a person, uh, the, the CEO, government, um, or, or, or some type of authority like scripture, truth, if, if you have a truth that is applied to others and someone else disagrees with it, it's seen in our context as oppressive. That's where we're at as a society. Do we know this? So what happens when you come to the ch a church where a church today um, no longer sees what's going on as, as a spiritual authority ordained by God because of abuse, because of uh, not using authority the way Jesus did, which we'll talk about, but uh, see a, a church as something you consume. How are you supposed to be on mission to the ends of the earth if you're, you think your job is to consume spiritual goods at some type of venue, which is a church? And this is where I think honor comes in. We have to recognize Jesus came and he established a kingdom. Okay, he established a reign. A government would be a word we would under. He established a new government at the time where there was another government. He established uh, an authority. He's the king of the kingdom. And we are subjects to his kingdom. We have to learn to love authority. And even now you're like, wait, no, no, no. This feels, oh, what are you saying? We aren't subject. We're not submitting ourselves and honoring God's authority in our life. This is the problem. We've been taught to not trust authority, to not trust scripture. So we don't honor authority. We don't honor scripture. We don't honor our words. We don't honor our time. We don't honor our commitments. We don't honor our relationships. We don't honor anything because it's all flat. And we hold everything in contempt except for our own emotions and desires and freedoms. That's the thing that we have to guard even at the expense of someone else. Dang, now I'd have to podcast this one. I believe, I believe the cure for the cancer of contempt is honor. Honor means to esteem, to hold in great respect, or to place value on a person or thing. Honor is the recognition of value, contribution, and importance of others. One, one writer says, honor affirms value. Just pause. So to live honorably with one another is to affirm the value of the other. So Honor affirms the value. When we come under the scripture and we honor the scripture by being obedient in our lives, we're affirming the value of scripture. When we, when we learn to live in, in obe uh, joyful obedience with God and come under his lordship as followers of Jesus, we honor the value he, he deserves. And he is. Honor is a relational or social term that identifies how people in any society evaluate one another. The word can be interchangeable in the Bible, but there's a difference. And we can confuse the word glory and honor. And I just want to make a quick clarification. Glory is inherent in something, okay? Glory is inherent in something. It's the intrinsic weight something possesses and it, I, I, it needs no recognition. So glory is not diminished by a lack of recognition. Does that make sense? Like for example, C.S. Lewis says this, a man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Honor, however, is the voluntary choice to recognize the value of someone or something. It's different than glory. You see, all of you are crowned with glory. You're all made in the image of God. You have intrinsic worth. The problem is we don't honor that in each other. Honor is the voluntary choice to recognize the value of someone or something. And this is where honor contains the power to transform. If contempt reduces value, honor restores it. 
And that difference lays the difference of found, uh, different foundation for all relationship because honor raises the quality of relationships. Honor brings out the best in others. Honor raises the quality of relationship. When I dishonor my wife, I lower our relationship. I diminish it. But when I, when I even when she's, she never does this. Even when she's being rude to me or argues with me, she's never doing that ever or disagrees with anything I said. I can honor her and not diminish through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can do this. I can honor her as the, the woman that she is, as the child of God. I, I don't have to go to the places that I normally like to go, which is dishonor. Do you know what I'm talking about? Honor keeps the relationship raised to the potential that God has for it. Now, I want to give you a, a quick biblical theology of honor. So I'm going to go fast because I'm going to show you what I learned that is so um, eye-opening to me because I, I was talking to somebody in our next steps lunch or uh, intro to the garden. And she was like, I've been a Christian for 30 years and I never heard that, uh, this topic. So she's coming back for the second service because she wanted to hear it again. Um, here's honor in the scriptures. Here's what you need to know. Honor is our destiny. It says in Revelation 5, all the nations will gather around the lamb and give him honor. It says, in, in a loud voice, they, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Our destiny is to honor God. Honor is the, in the relational framework of the Trinity and the Godhead. John chapter five, verse 22 says, moreover, the father, Jesus is talking, judges, judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who has sent him. There's this loving, perfect loving community in the Trinity of, of honoring one another. It's in God himself who is a perfect loving community, a, a perichoresis, a divine dance of Trinity. All creation honors God. Isaiah 43, I know you've been wondering, what do the jackals do? Or what does the fox say? Well, it says, the wild animals honor me. That was a cheap laugh. The wild animals honor me and the jackals and the owls because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. All creation honors God. Romans talks about all creation waiting, longing for um, the sons of God to be revealed. I think this has to do with us being restored back to Adam and our careful cultivation and stewardship of all creation. That something about us being made in the image is designed to function out of that image of God so that we can steward and care for all of creation. We're called to honor God with our sexuality. Let me say that one more time. Maybe I'll read it slow. We are called to honor God with our sexuality. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality which is anything outside of uh, a covenantal marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We are called to be living temples. Read the Old Testament. Actually, most of you are reading along with us, right? In the Bible. Just nod your head. Make me feel better. Okay. Yeah. All six of us. So all six of everybody. We've been reading about the priesthood, the Levites, all the stuff that took place to consecrate, to make holy the temple so people could worship God. And now we are the living temple. And as a result of what's been done for us on the cross, we are to live as a living sacrifice, Romans chapter 12. And what Paul says is that we are to honor God with our bodies, honor God with our sexuality as a living temple, holy to God. Whew, that's a hard one, isn't it? This is even harder. We are all called to honor God with our wealth. You're like, no, Darren, stick with sexuality. That's a lot easier. It says in Romans, or sorry, Proverbs chapter three, verse nine, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. How many of you want the vats to brim over with new wine? Any, anyone here want your vats? It's just a, a symbolic way of saying you're financially abundant, overflowing, that we're we're called to steward our finances in a way that brings honor and glory and power to God on earth here and now. 
And this is a major sin in the church. Because we think, oh, we'll just tithe a percentage. That's not a New Testament concept. All of it's his. That's right. Come on. All of it. He knows what's up. I'll preach right now, but all of it is his. Thank you that you confirm the teaching. It's all his. So how we live, we live in response. So yeah, I think everyone should start at 10%. Once you can afford life. Some of you don't have any money to give. Some of you are in a massive debt and some of you need help and the church should come around you. That's how we honor God with our wealth. But most of us never get past a percentage. We don't. 90 something percent of it. If the church tithe, all poverty would be wiped out in the United States or in the world. If just the United States church tithe, 10%, just that. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy that we could solve the world's problems if just a few hundred million Christians in the United States chose to give 10%. But not just that, if the church leadership honored God with its money. Because that's also a crisis in the church, is it not? But by the grace of God, it's not here. We'll talk about that in a second. We're called to honor God in our marriages. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Now, as I read this, just there's a section that I'm going to, you're going to like be like, Ugh, but I'll, I'll, I'll address it. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So real quick, respect to the weaker partner. We know that, that what he's referring to is in context. Um, men and women are considered equals throughout the narrative of scripture. So I just, this will be used to uh, abuse the role of women in the church. And so you know that we don't have that here. Would you agree? Okay, so it has to do with context at a time where women were seen as property and you could divorce them for any reason, especially if you weren't sexually satisfied by them. That was a real thing. So what Peter writes, which is revolutionary here, is husbands treat your wives in such a way that God actually hears your prayers. Honor your wives in such a way because if you don't, he's not gonna listen. So any husband and wife, wives, just next time your husband's talking back, just say, if you go to pray, he's not gonna hear you. That's cool. Sit, keep, keep it coming. He's laughing. He's cutting you off. <laughs> every time, every time I get in a fight with my wife, this scripture is in my head. It's brutal. And the next day when I wake up and have my devotion with Jesus, it's a list of confession. Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry for treating my wife this way. Forgive me so that you can hear my prayers. Okay, now that you heard me, let's go. <laughs> But that's what is terrible about having a good memory and being a teacher. It talks about us being judged more, right? Because I am, I know this text. I know what it means. I know what it means. And I know, how, I know how to teach people how to live it out. And then in the moment, it's like, oh, come back over here. Do you know what I'm talking about? Too much confession today. <laughs> Honor is central in the home. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and your mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that you may, uh, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Father, Father, check this out. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The word training is bring them up in the culture of the Lord. Honor is central to the home. We're called to honor God in society. Romans 13 talks about obeying um, and honoring God's ordained authority in the heads of the states. Um, and honor makes culture flourishing possible when we honor the government. Even if they are dishonorable, we are called to honor whoever is elected, whoever is in author has authority above us in government. This is what Paul teaches all right, and we see this all over the place. Honor has the power to transform corrupt empires. Honor has the power to transform corrupt empires. I don't have time. Daniel is a, a book about this. How does one Israelite who is a hundred and something miles away from home after he watches his family brutally murdered, after he was besieged as a city, after they destroyed the temple of their God, as he's brought into the, the courts of Nebuchadnezzar and eats at the king's table under this pagan culture that's over-sexualized and getting drunk. How does an Israelite transform this culture, this pagan empire? and he chooses to remain faithful every day. He honors the authority. I'm not going to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I'll read the stories of the Babylonian myths, but I'm not going to eat from that, from that meat. 
one meal at a time. You say, um, I'm going to pray three times a day towards, his, towards Jerusalem, even though it's been conquered. And people will come and try to trap him to worship other gods. And he'll remain faithful. He'll pray anyway. And then he'll be thrown in the lion's den for being faithful to God. And in the lion's den, he defeats the lions. Yahweh defeats the lions. And all of a sudden, the new king recognizes the God that he worships and honors that God. Faithful obedience in one person to be, live honorably. Just quick history because we're reading the Old Testament. 70 years later or so, Daniel's faithfulness, along with some other Israelites, empowers another king who doesn't know Daniel, knows of him, to empower Nehemiah to go back home, funded by the Babylonians, to restore Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Faithfulness of one. So if you work for Netflix or if you work for some giant organization or some company that you think is destroying the environment or toxic, you have the power to transform empires by honoring. Honor should be the culture of the church. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor especially those who work, whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is uh, treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. All throughout scripture, you see an honoring of leaders in the church. This is why it's been so hard for me to talk about this because you think I'm going to talk about myself. I'm not talking about myself, although it does say those who preach and teach. So there you go, double honor. It's the word of God. (laughs) But I think this is, a, this is a real issue. And I think it has to do with our rejection of authority, that we don't honor the spiritual authority that we are in as a church. And I'm speaking just publicly. I think that's a real case for, for the millennials and younger. I think there was a generation shift where there was like doctors and lawyers and people in like, you know, that were staff working at a church were seen as honorable, but that, that's kind of gone with our generation, except for the celebrity culture, which we totally reject, right? Uh, even though we're, we're keeping up with the Kardashians, we do reject it, right? But I was thinking about this, that um, I want you to know something, and I'm not talking about myself. I want to talk about the people that are leading our church. We have the most amazing leadership at this church, and I, I'm, not re- I'm not referring to Alex and I. I'm referring to, we have an incredible elder team. I love our elders. Our elder meetings over the last six months are two-thirds praying for our church, praying for the marriages, praying by name for house church pastors, praying for those that are going through crisis. They are carrying the church as overseers, and you are so lucky that you are under their authority. Because they love this church. They pray by name. They sacrifice. They fast weekly. They give financially. They show up to hospitals. They provide meals. They are doing what's required. I, I remember not being sure what an elder was. I had to go theologically. And then I asked my mentor, Don, who was a theologian. I said, what do elders do? He says, elders eld. <laughs> and that's how, we, that's how we pick elders in this church. We're not putting them in positions. We're recognizing they're already elding. (laughs) Our staff, we have a young staff. Have you guys noticed that? I mean, Bill brings us up a bit, thank God. (laughs) But I I love that. From the moment, 10 years ago when we started church, as a 24-year-old, God said, you're going to do it with Bill. Come under him. I don't, I, I, like, do, I, I, it was the greatest whimsical idea. The greatest thing I probably could have done for this church was to bring Bill along. <laughs> With wisdom and resource, 33 years of leading a church, a professor, a person who raised, and, and we honor Bill. But we have this amazing, incredible staff. You have no idea how mature in the faith they are. They carry wisdom. They carry grace. They carry, they, they are with Jesus. Our staff meetings are worship, prophecy, prayer for one another. They're fasting for, for you guys. They are leading with such integrity in their youth. They are leading the way for generations to come. Pastor Amy, Pastor Rihanna, Pastor Faith, Amanda and Michael and Pastor John, all of our staff. Christy, she's up here doing, she does not want to do announcements. She was terrified this week. I made her do it. 
Because I see what God's going to do in her. Rihanna, our kids pastor. I'm like, you're going to be one of our preachers, the best preacher that we have, because I see that in her. And we have to recognize the gifts that are here. If we don't honor them, we will never be the church that we're created to be. Our house church pastors are insane. They're living it out. They are making disciples of all nations and they open up their home. They care for the marriages. They care for the singles. They create space for hospitality. They're with Jesus. They're sacrificing their time. And some of us don't even text that we're not showing up. How are we doing, guys? Honor. Honor those people with your time, with your commitment, with your words, with resources, with your affirmation. Honor affirms. Honor lifts up. Honor honor. This is it. This is so important. How are we doing? Are we feeling okay? Coming into land in just a second. We're called to honor one another. Honor one another. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. As you can see, honor is central to the kingdom of God. Honor is our destiny. It's in the Trinity. Honor is in creation. Honor is in sexuality. Honor is in our wealth. Honor is in marriage. Honor is in the family. Honor is in the human authority. Honor is in the church. Honor is the operating system of the kingdom of God. How serious as a Christian do you take the value of honor in your life? I don't have time to read this story. But I want to tell you, it's Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Jesus becomes the model for us on how we are to reconstruct our lives and live. And I believe that with all my heart, that if you want the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Jesus is dining with a tax collector, I'm sorry, um, with a Pharisee. And the Pharisee, uh, this woman comes and touches his feet, pours perfume on it, and she wets Jesus' feet with her tears. She wipes it with her hair. Um, And these Pharisees are like, they say in Luke chapter um, 7, verse 39, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Then he tells this parable about forgiveness. And then verse 44 of chapter 7, Jesus, then he turned towards the woman. He's finally looking at the woman now. He wasn't that whole time. And he says to Simon, the host, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has performed, uh, poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that can forgive sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is what I see in Jesus. You see, the Pharisees create categories. Contempt culture creates categories. They saw outcast, sinner, prostitute, unclean, defiled, And when we create categories, it separates us from humanity. Jesus saw her crowned crowned with glory as, as a daughter of the king. And that recognition invited her back into faith and community with God. Jesus looked through the world through a lens, a filter of honor. Jesus' filter of honor created a community unlike the world has ever seen. He would see gold in people and pull it out of them and release them into greatness, into destiny. You're going to be more than a fisherman. You can't fish for fish anymore. Fishers of men, let's go. I see what's inside. No, you're going to, you, you're, you got to go. You're created for more than this. Honor elevates others to their royal identity. And this is the culture we have to create. This is the lens through which we need to see. So how do we build a culture of honor? I'm going to land with these points. Observations from my own life. First of all, insecurity will always produce dishonor. Insecurity will always produce dishonor. So if you, dis- if you dishonor yourself, you will carry a state of shame and you will dishonor others. So when we dishonor ourselves, we will fail to honor others. 
If you are critical of yourself, you will be critical to others. So if you are looking for trash in others, you will most certainly find the trash. But if you are looking for gold, you will be able to find the gold in others. So how do we build a culture of honor in our life, in our business, in our occupation, in your family? Number one, you got to learn to honor God. If, you want, if we want to build a culture of honor, guys, this is the practical. We need to honor God. Honor the Father, honor the, the Son, honor the Holy Spirit, honor God with our time, honor God with our money, honor God with our words, honor God with our worship, honor God with our everything. Number two, we've got to honor the scriptures. And I don't have time to go off on this, but I could. All of the crises we're facing, all the issues we face as a culture right now have to do with the authority of the text. That's it. Will we live under the authority of the text? Number three, Honor whatever authority you live under. Like Daniel, you can work in a business that's dishonorable, but you can be a person of honor. You can create honor in the teams that you do oversee. You can respect, you can do what is required of every Christian to look at people as crowned with glory, as image bearers. Um, so when that person cuts you off, you don't have to dishonor them in your privacy of your own car. Or when you do what I do and try to justify dishonor by giving me the free water which is sin. It was sin. You repent and you go to that person and you bring back the level of honor they deserve because they are more than just a, a fast food worker. It wasn't a fast food restaurant. They're more, it doesn't, because that's not their right. They are crowned with glory. They're made in the image of God. They are more than conquerors. And they might not even know that yet, but you, by the way you interact, the way you affirm, the way you look, the way you smile, the way you keep asking questions can show them so much more. Honor whatever authority you're under. Honor the authority and learn to love the authority you're under if it's honorable. As a church, we, I want to just say our elders are so honorable. And you should, the fact that you don't know them is part of the problem. It's because they do not want to be on a stage. They don't want any light because they are serving behind the scenes. That's the way I want it. Anyone that demands to get on the stage, I won't let get a microphone. This is true. I get resumes sent to me about their performances on NBC. I'm like, you're not going to preach with a resume. You got to earn. Come and serve kids ministry for six months. Come and clean toilets. Then we'll see if you have the right heart to, to speak to this community. Because what do you do with honor and authority? Jesus is the model. You empower others. That's why it's abused. We think honor in the church is like, all right, we're going to get a celebrity culture. The only person worth honoring is the guy that's written the book, the pastor. If we don't see that honor and power is used and leveraged for the least of these, leveraged for those that don't have power, leveraged with taking off your outer garment and washing the feet of those you serve, that's not the way the church should do it. Anything else other than that is off. Are you with me? All right. Honor your way in. Honor your way in. This one is so fascinating to me. So um, I have a friend who leads Bethel with Bill Johnson. His name's Chris Fallotton. And we've been talking a bunch lately, and he's going to come here soon. So it's exciting. I'll drop that. I don't agree with everything that Bethel does or, or even Chris, but he's, he's built this, they've built this amazing church. And what I've learned, I've loved, not the signs and wonders, that's cool. Not their ministry that's all over the world. What I love is that there's articles by non-Christians saying that Reading has been transformed by Bethel. It's insane. San Francisco Chronicle, Chronicle wrote about what's happened because of the local church. And I'm like, I want to know about this. And I was asking Chris, what happened? And he was telling me the story. He said, we had to honor our way into the city. I was like, wait, what does that mean? <laughs> so he says, okay, so Bill Johnson was teaching about honor all, this, all these years. And finally, as a practical guy, I'm like, I got to figure out how we do this. So we got the teams together. Um, and multiple things happened. One time he was preaching on the role of the apostolic church to influence culture. And the same day Chris was going to preach on it, the paper said um, Reading was one of the worst places to live in the United States. How could you be an apostolic church and not transform culture? So was, we got to do something about this. So Bethel got the elders together and they said, let's tithe to the city. They started tithing to the city. Use this money for whatever. We're going to build trust and friendship and relationship. As they, they, they went along, they started asking the city, what do you need? They said, we need help with our parks. So they have like real parks, but they need chainsaws and like equipment. We need like, I don't know, brooms and Windex. And so he, they bought like over a million, over the last few years, a million dollars worth of equipment to serve the city. 
by doing what people, they couldn't afford to do. The Civic Center was going bankrupt. They took it over as, as a nonprofit and made it successful and financially viable for the city. It, prof, it became profitable. They, um, they, they found out that four uh, um, uh, police officers that were preventing crime, the only preventative crime they had, or, or, or police officers they had, were going to lose their job because they didn't get a grant. So they, they funded it for two years as a church. Isn't that amazing? Chris is has been asked to sit on the chair, the committee of the economic redevelopment of Reading as the pastor. When I hear stories, I don't care what you think theologically about them. When I hear that, that they're friends with the mayor, he meets with the chief, the police chief, the fire chief and the mayor regularly. When I hear that, I'm like, that's, that's so inspiring. He said, the way it started was having meetings with city officials, having meetings with the city and saying, how can we serve? and they honored their way in. So if you're in a business, if you're at a school, if you have roommates that you honor your way in and see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, wherever you find yourself, honor will be the cure to the contempt. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church. Spirit, oh God, destroy.